I do want to say that some of the sound quality suffers on this interview, and I apologize for that. I tried to do my best with it, but sometimes when you record and you're not getting a great connection, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. I thought it was good enough to air, though, versus redoing the interview. So I appreciate your understanding in that. me. This is Dr. Elizabeth Bonet, and this is the podcast about hypnosis, transformation, and healing. Today's topic is about dementia and Alzheimer's. It's a topic close to my heart because I had a mother who died of Alzheimer's in 2013. Eckhart Tolle talks about the dissolution of the self and how Alzheimer's and dementia, you can see that process happening. And he's so right. It's such a completely different frame for it than, oh my God, they're losing their minds. And now what? Right? That's a fear-based kind of paradigm versus it's dissolution of the self. It's coming back to who they are at, at an essence. When I heard about Roger Moore's program, I was intrigued because I am in South Florida. There are a lot of elderly here. I do have some clients in my own practice that have recently been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and dementia. And we work on moving out of anxiety, living in the present, enjoying what is here. But of course, there's fears that come up about the memory and losing it and some of the obsessive thinking that goes on in terms of checking appointment books and scheduling and am I going to forget something and all of this stuff around it. So when I heard about Roger Moore's program that you can do hypnosis for dementia in terms of improving the quality of life, I was intrigued and wanted to interview him about it. So I hope you find this interview as informative as I did. Hi, Roger. Welcome to Hypnotize Me. I'm glad you're here today. Oh, thank you, Elizabeth. It's great to be here with you. So let's jump right in with the question that I ask all my guests is what was your first experience with hypnosis? My first contact or real uh, interest in, in hypnosis was about 1968 when I was uh, working in a drug crisis hotline um, all night crisis calling center, suicide prevention. And we also, this is during the Vietnam War, and we also helped uh, folks uh, get out of, the, out of the States and into Canada and, and did the underground, underground thing. But, mm-hmm. um, it was probably two, three o'clock in the morning and the phones weren't ringing and there was nothing to do. And there was a book laying on the desk about hypnosis. And uh, I picked it up and started reading, and I've been hooked ever since. Wow. So that's a long time you've been practicing hypnosis. Yeah, I've been in private practice for the last 20 years. I've been a counselor for over 40 years, reading about it and studying about it for a long time. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know now you do your private practice, so you offer hypnosis, and you also do some training programs for hypnotherapists. And that is actually how I discovered you. I'm in a Facebook group with you and I looked at a couple of your training programs, found one of them really interesting. So let's jump into that topic. That topic is 
hypnosis for dementia and Alzheimer's. Oh, yes. So tell me how you discovered this, you know, how it came up on your radar even. Uh, it was probably about 18 or 19 years, actually it was about 19 years ago, uh, that uh, a man at the gym uh, came up to me one day and, and said, I'm desperate, I don't know what to do. Uh, he, he moved in with his mom who had uh, Alzheimer's and she was so agitated and he said, can anything that you can do with hypnosis for her? And I looked at him and kind of shocked and said, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I didn't. I just Some of things I, start, right? <laughs> and yeah. I said, I have not a clue. And then I said, but you know what? I'd be happy to offer my time and see if there's something I could do. And mm. we set up a time and she was in bed in her house. And, and uh, I went up to her house and in the room was uh, this woman and her son and, and uh, her daughter. She didn't recognize the two of them and seemed like she recognized me. She thought I was somebody else. And I just kind of went over and played along with her and, and ended up holding her hand with, with my hand and then my other hand just laid on her arm and just started talking to her really softly and started talking to her about taking some nice deep breaths and breathing deeply and, and told her some some story i have no idea what anymore you know so mm -hmm. took her on some journey some metaphor and probably did a beach or something she fell asleep actually uh, by the end by the time i was done uh it was a couple days later i got a phone call from him going oh my god it's a miracle Mm. He said, what? And he said, she's been the most relaxed for the last 48 hours that she's been in the last six months. Wow. So that was kind of my, that was my beginning. And uh, I met with her a few more times before she passed. The son just went on and on and on and raved about how much it helped her. She was sleeping better. She just was having an overall better quality of life because uh, she was less agitated. He said that she had more lucid moments hmm. uh, as well. But the big thing was, was the fact that she was just wasn't as agitated. She was more relaxed. Mm -hmm. So at that point, did you begin to do this more and more or was it a, a time period in there before? Well, there was a time period in there probably another year or two uh, before I had another request. And I said, sure, why not? And, and again, I volunteered. And it was somebody, uh, someone else I knew, their, their father, and here in the island, and ended up going to um, uh, the care center where he was at a couple times, and then he passed. And I got curious about just what research was out there. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think this was around 2008, I think, and it started looking at was their research, and it, I came across Dan Nightingale's uh, research out of England, mm -hmm. and got all excited about that, and started communicating with him. Dan has since moved to the United States, and I've done training with Dan, and, and been to his trainings, as well as uh, doing some online work with him, and training with him. Mm -hmm. uh, so Dan and I have become friends because of, uh, of the work that's in Wonderful. 
So can you tell the listeners, like, what does the research say about how hypnosis can help dementia in Alzheimer's? The, the research talks about how uh, improved quality of life, that uh, people are, are calmer and more relaxed. They have less fear, less, less anxiety. There's some interesting data showing that uh, they have better uh, ADL skills uh, activities daily living and are, you know, just do better at teeth brushing and, and those types of activities. Mm. The problem with the study is it's one study. It's never been duplicated. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dan Beggs is, is trying to find somebody that would please um, take this on and do another study. So far, nobody's done it. It's, a, it's pretty interesting research. Yes, it is. I've read the study as well and was quite surprised at it because I had actually not heard of it before. My mother died of Alzheimer's. So I know quite a bit about the disease and about dementia. And I actually took professional training around dementia. Wanting, yeah, wanting to help her more. When I ran across the study, though, I was like, wow, this was not mentioned anywhere. It is quite an effect in terms of people with dementia. Do you tend to get agitated? They have the sundowning that happens. Right where the sun goes down and, and they get a little more agitated around those right. times of days. So when you're working with hypnosis with them, is this specifically like, okay, let's see if we can calm some of the nervous system down, have them do daily tasks of living better, more comfortable. Are you also working on memory? Like, can they retain their memory? Like, what is the, what does it say about that? It, was- I, I, that d- depends very much, at least from my perspective on the client. I have a man that I'm working with right now at my Seattle office who is still driving and, and actually still working, uh, but does have a diagnosis of, of Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And, um, he has his own business and, and is in the process of transitioning out. So he still goes to the office and, and has other people doing a lot of the work for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he drives to my office in downtown Seattle. We're working on memory recall, memory enhancement, as well as doing a lot of work with his fear and uh, creating hope, finding uh, places in his life where you can be hopeful. Mm. How does that happen? I mean, obviously it's individual, right? But when you say creating hope, what do you mean? Because part of part of what happens when people get the diagnosis and for their family members is immediately this hopelessness that sets exactly. in. Like, oh my God, like I am going to lose everything Right is the feeling. So can you say a little bit more about how you create hope? Well, he was um, very depressed you know, the first time I met him, and and because as you said, he was hopeless, um, and those were his words: is um, feeling very hopeless and very doomed, and and so we started talking about what was right in his life, what was going well, and uh, started talking about uh, his kids and his business. He has uh, one of his daughters that uh, uh, has actually moved here to help with the 
help him and to help and is, is taking over the business ultimately. Mm. He started getting excited about the possibilities for her and expansion of the business. And that's uh, been kind of the biggest source of his hope is what he sees as the possibilities for her and her future and the possibilities for for the business that he started from scratch and has built and and the employees who become family to him. That's just made a huge difference uh, in terms of uh, his overall happiness. Okay, uh, so focusing more on legacy, like what is your legacy going to be and what, yes, what yes. kind of legacy can yeah, you leave? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, what I do when, when you know, because I do a lot of work with folks with cancer and thinking of somebody that, uh, last um, Christmas, got an emergency phone call to go to the cancer center and, and see this man and got over there and, and his diagnosis, his prognosis was um, pretty damning. You know, the doctors were telling him you have weeks and, you know, there was this potential therapy that he could do that was pretty awful. And, and um, you know, the, just total hopelessness on his part. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the man's doing is alive today and doing very well. But anyway, um, he, um, when I walked in, he was sitting there looking at a picture of a little girl uh, on a cell phone. And he's just going on and on about hopelessness, you know, as we were talking. And, I, and finally I said, so, you know, when I came in, I, I saw a picture of a little girl on, on your phone. They asked who that is, and he sat up straight, and he beamed, and kind of giggled, and that was his granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And I got him talking about his granddaughter, and and he his whole he got color in his face. He laughed, he giggled, he tell me stories, uh, talk about holding her and cuddling her. Said, well, what are, what do you want for her and her life and her future? Mm-hmm. Suddenly he had hope. It was all in her that point in, the, in time and you know he assumed and we all assumed he had days or weeks left to live he wasn't focused on his prognosis but he found a place to look for hope mm, okay and the hope was his, his granddaughter, granddaughter and, the and spending time with her and her well, future not even so much he knew his time with her was going to be limited okay but what he wanted for her and her future and, and oh, the, type okay. of person, the type of person he wanted her to be. And, oh. and he was really focused on being loving and kind. It wasn't about her being successful. That was all nice. Um, mm-hmm. She could be educated. She wanted to be. Uh, it was, but it was really all about her being loving and kind. Some, I know you work some too with end of life planning is that part of that process is, okay, you have the prognosis. Now, how do we handle the end of your life with a, a way that feels better? You know, again, that's depending on the client. I just had uh, a woman pass a couple of weeks ago and first she was driving about 40 miles to my office. And uh, then that got to be too much in the last couple months and so we were doing online sessions a couple times actually from her hospital Mm -hmm. and um that she was at home when she passed and for her it was it was just 
finding peace, uh, moving through, talking about any fears, uh, while talking about her life. And uh, with, with her, it was a lot, we focused a lot on joy. Mm-hmm. She would talk about when she was in her 20s, uh, being in San Diego and roller skating um, down at uh, uh, Coronado Beach. And I've actually done that myself. And again, she'd just come alive. Mm-hmm. The whole beingness would change and, and she'd laugh and giggle. And we talked about memorizing that joy, not memorizing the, uh, the anger, hurt, fear, pain of, of cancer and death and dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about living in that, that place of, of joy. And, and um, one of our, our last um, uh, sessions, uh, she talked about how wonderful it is to be able to die joyfully. Mm. Wow. Yeah, and that uh, she just goes roller skating. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what she hoped her last thought was, was that she was on the beach roller skating. Oh, beautiful. Like a thought of joy. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. So I'm going to jump back to the dementia. And I am interested about you working with the memory enhancement. I know that's a big issue for people, particularly when they're often first diagnosed, because they still do have a lot of their memory and then the fear is there, obviously, that they're going to lose right. it over time. But do you, are you using like the same type of protocols that you know most hypnotherapists use in terms of better recall and studying techniques and better memory kind of techniques? I do more um, probably what most hypnotherapists do on mindfulness mm. um, and being in the moment. Because often what I, what I hear from people that happens is that when they can't remember somebody's name or, or can't remember why they walked into the kitchen, and, and, and of course I remind them that they've done that all their life just like the rest of us. Yeah, <laughs> right, it's like I did last night. <laughs> yeah, or I did yeah. this morning, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, why am I here? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, that in those moments, rather than getting agitated and scared and upset and getting stressed and and getting out of body and creating it worse, you know, getting the adrenaline pumping, being chased by the tiger and mm-hmm. that um, I, I teach them a couple different real quick, simple stress reduction techniques. One is just simply putting thumb and forefinger together and taking a deep breath in through the nose and, and letting it out through the mouth as they release their thumb and forefinger. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is uh, I give them a recording called Orange Blossom, which is a free 27-minute relaxation MP3 on my website. If you go to hypnosisselfinfo.com on the homepage right in the center of the page, can't miss it. It's there. Wonderful. It's had over 100,000 downloads. Wow. And, uh, it's used around the world in medical settings and surgery centers and people go to sleep with it. Mm. That the goal is that after two weeks of listening to that, <clears throat> that anytime they feel the least bit of stress, tension, anxiety, they, they simply say or think orange blossom and, and feel a wave of relaxation flow over them. Mm. So it's training the, the brain and the body to move into that state with the keyword. That's correct. 
The other one that, that I teach them, um, I call Roger's Wiggle. I have no idea where I learned it. I just one mm-hmm. day it kind of came out. Um, but I have them wiggle their toes, wiggle their butt, mm-hmm. and take a deep breath in through their nose and let it out through their mouth. That's all it is. is a uh-huh. So it gets them into their body, it, it like more present. Back, it gets them back in their body, gets the mind full. Uh-huh. Versus... And, and, running off in their mind of exactly. this is awful and I can't remember. And right. is this part of dementia or is this just normal walking exactly. into the kitchen? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because when you're in that mindfulness place, when you're aware of breath, feet and floor, um, then it's like, okay, why did I come into the kitchen? Mm-hmm. And if I don't remember now, well, as soon as I leave, it'll probably come to me. And but have them, be in that that peaceful place of being centered in their body versus um, uh, being chased by the tiger and, and stressed out, which only uh, inhibits um, memory memory recall. Yes, yes. I have a patient I'm working with where she. The more we can bring down her anxiety, the better. Really. Exactly. The better she does, the better she functions, the better she is able to even check her appointment book or say, you know, I just checked out. I don't need to right, right now because sometimes they get obsessed with checking the appointment book and have I checked it? And, you know, that gets into an anxiety process. So when we bring down her anxiety, pretty much everything goes better for her. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. I teach self-hypnosis, mm-hmm. and it's a form of what Jerry Hine used to teach, uh, the, the light switch self-hypnosis, mm-hmm. and how to give themselves suggestions and take themselves deeply relaxed. And depending on uh, how advanced the dementia is, some people do very well with the suggestions, and for other folks, it's just simply you know going to the beach or to the mountaintop or where to their back deck or wherever their happy place is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so if I even get them to do that several times a day uh, for a minute or two or a few minutes, that uh, has just a tremendous benefit for them. Is, is the feedback that I get from them and from their family members. Yes, I imagine. Yeah. And then that that affects the rest of their day, right. like whenever they do it. When I work with, with folks with dementia, um, in addition to the client, I try to get either family members included to the sessions or caregivers mm-hmm. included so that the, the family member you know, is living with them or, or the caregiver that's in there, they know and understand the tools and can remind them of the tools in between their sessions or throughout the day and can support them and being mindful, support them and being relaxed, support them in, uh, do you want to listen to Orange Blossom now to help them along that way? So I, I found it just very beneficial. Uh, you know, with the client's permissions, you know, to say, you know, I would suggest you um, ask your son or daughter to attend the sessions with you, or or your caregiver to attend with you. And yes, most most people are very happy to do that. Absolutely, and I I found the same thing. It's it's almost impossible, I think, to 
to treat someone with Alzheimer's and dementia without having a family member involved or a caregiver involved. Right. But of, the only time I actually happened is like the gentleman I was talking about who still drives to my office. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's still, he's still high functioning and right. still running his company and doing things like that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I guess I was thinking more of when they reach a certain level, it's like someone has to be there too. Exactly. And, and not right. even necessarily the whole session, but part of the session and working with them and how, right. how they can help their loved one or the person they're caring for. I have a well, woman from from uh, London that I'm working with, and and uh, her daughter lives with her, and and they um, the daughter sets up the computer for the online sessions, and the two of them are sitting side by side throughout the entire session. Mm, that's wonderful. So her daughter's getting benefit as well. Exactly. Even. Yeah. Yeah. And do they report that? Like, you know, I'm using that too. And it's helping me, <laughs> the orange blossom or the techniques or whatever that is. Oh, very much. And uh, I hear that a lot from the caregivers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because giving care to, well, to anybody uh, is almost built in guarantee there's going to be stress. Yeah. And, and then there's the heartache of when mom doesn't remember your name. Mm-hmm. Um, or when mom, you know, doesn't remember that she's already had breakfast and is asking when she's going to eat again, mm-hmm. you know, um, that, that's stressful. It's heartbreaking. Yes, it can become very stressful. The constant a- attention that's necessary. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And heartbreaking as well. Yes. The grief process that goes on, like losing the person before they die, essentially. Yes. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about your training programs that you've run for hypnotherapists or hypnotists, either one, wanting to offer this in their community because it's such a, such a valuable service. I mean, I'm in Florida, South Florida, which is Uh the elderly population here is very, very high. And I imagine how helpful it is for other people to know too that this they could offer this to family members and to people struggling with dementia and Alzheimer's. I only offer uh, advanced healthcare support uh, training, and it's, okay. it's advanced courses. People who are already hypnotherapists, or people mm-hmm. who often I'll get doctors and dentists, or mental health counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists. Mm-hmm. Uh, married family therapists that attend my trainings with, who have no prior hypnosis training or minimal hypnosis training. And, mm-hmm. uh, but that's the, the type of uh, courses that I offer. And so the, the dementia classes that uh, I taught with Dr. Dan Nightingale, if you go to rogermoreinstitute.com, you'll find them there. Mm-hmm. And also, if you look um, in the Facebook group, Dementia Therapy Specialists, which is Dr. Dan's uh, oh, Facebook page. That's a great resource. Yeah, oh, it is. It's excellent. Uh, you'll find his, his trainings as well. Gotcha. So the ones listed that you listed, I'll, I'll put in the show notes for people to be able to access so that if they're interested in getting training in this right. area, 
they can do that. Having said that, I, I have two or three people right now that either did Dr. Dan's training or did our joint training that I am coaching. So mm. I do offer them you know, individual support and, and coach them that way. Oh, great. Um, so that's wonderful that's, yeah, because this yeah. is such a specialized area. It can be heartbreaking for the therapist as well to, oh, absolutely. to yeah. watch someone go through the progression of right. dementia and Alzheimer's. So that's yeah, wonderful that you can provide support and coaching about, okay, right. what's the next step here and you know what's going on and really knowing it intimately inside and right. out. Yes, there's those professional boundaries, but you know when when we're working with somebody that's in end of life, whether it's Alzheimer's or cancer or some other disease, mm-hmm. um, you know there's a bond that forms. Mm-hmm, definitely. And uh, you know every time uh, one of my clients uh, passes, I grieve, I, I mourn, and it's. A process of learning how to allow that grief in that morning and it's important to acknowledge that so that you can move on and when I got the phone call a couple weeks ago when, when this other woman passed yeah within two minutes I was sitting down in front of another client you know mm-hmm. and it's like okay Roger you know this is what's going on and now you got to pull it together for the next person but also then spent private time uh, later on that day and the days following of doing my own grieving process. And, yes. Uh, it's, it's important important for, for therapists who are doing this type of work to, to be okay with doing that. Yes, definitely. And you're right. Sometimes the requirement is you have someone right then, right there that you need to attend to and put your attention on, but you need to come back later to address some of your own feelings about exactly. what happened. Mm-hmm. Exactly. An important part of self-care and yeah. staying connected to connected to right. your, your own heart as a therapist. Yeah. 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 Which helps you connect to patients. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, we have come to the end of our time. I want to thank you very much for being here. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Elizabeth. This has uh, just been uh, a real honor and a joy. I appreciate this. It's raining while I record this portion of the podcast, so you may hear that in the background. Listening to Roger talk about his clients and how he works with them, I could just truly feel and hear the kindness and love and compassion that he has for them, working not just with dementia and Alzheimer's, but also end-of-life questions and hopefulness and lifting someone out of depression and having them enjoy the last years of their life. And sometimes if someone's sick, then that becomes difficult due to the pain body, right? Living in the pain body. But his ability to say, okay, let's transcend that some and see if we can find some joy and happiness here really struck me. 
as such a gift and act of kindness and service to people. I do work with dementia and Alzheimer's in my practice in South Florida. It's not the focus of my practice, but I do find hypnosis helpful for people coming in for that and processing the anxiety and sometimes the depression that comes up too. I'm an anxiety specialist, so I, I think I tend to see more of the anxious people that come in and say, what do I do here? This is so painful. Anxiety and rumination and not being able to stop thoughts is, is so painful. It really is. Keep that in mind in case you know someone who needs that or you need that. The caregivers often, often need support. I wouldn't even say often. I would say always need support. I saw my sister be the primary caretaker for my mother who was living in Texas. I was living in Florida and I would fly in to see her. And I know what a strain it put on her. And it was hard to see her suffer as well. So often in families, it becomes a two-part goal right? Not just taking care of the person who is at the end of their life, but also the caregiver of that person, if that person is family. Even if they're not, being compassionate for whoever the caregiver is for your loved one. Just a reminder before I go that episode 55 is a free hypnosis that you can download for someone going in for surgery for cancer. It's specifically written for that. If you have a loved one, that is dealing with that, perhaps they're near the end of their life, perhaps they're not, please make sure that you go and download that and give that to them. It's completely free. You can get it on the podcast, episode 55, or on the website, drlizhypnosis.com slash episode 55. That's D-R-L-I-Z hypnosis.com slash episode 55. All right, people. Peace. If you like this episode, do me a favor and rate, review, and subscribe on whatever player you like, or even better, tell a friend so that more and more people learn about hypnosis and how it can be helpful for them. If you want to know more about me, head over to drlizhypnosis.com. That's D-R-L-I-Z, hypnosis.com. You can see the downloads and see if there's one that's helpful for your life. Or you could also join the newsletter and get a couple of free files as well as lots of good content. I've written a newsletter for well over 10 years. Go ahead and subscribe and join the rest of the world. All right, people. Have a wonderful week.